We are called to be theologians. Did you realize that? What does a theologian do but study God? Why do theologians study God? Well, theologians study God because they have the desire to know him. To know not just about him, but to know him. And that's appropriate because doesn't God desire to know each of us as well? But not just to know us, he wants to have fellowship with us. God wants a relationship with us. Psalm 145 verse 18 says, The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. See, knowing God requires communication with him, studying what he says in his word, the Bible, but it also requires communion with him which means having a relationship with him. Now, when we look to the, to the word, to the Bible, to understand who God is, and even deeper than that, who we are in him, the Bible is really the primary source. How many of you have a Bible? Well, if you're sitting in the pew, there should be one close to you. I hope you'll take that this morning, and when I give you the scripture, and this time, unlike last Sunday, I will actually give you the scripture. <sighs> you, ever, you ever driving down the road towards your next sermon and go, wow, I told them to turn in their Bible to a place I didn't tell them where to turn? <laughs> Apologize for that. But the Bible is the unchanging, enduring word of God. And the original text of the Bible was recorded at first repetitiously from, from mouth to ear over and over again. And then later on it was written down in, in letters like Paul's letters to the different churches. And then it was hand-scribed in narratives, most of them, in fact all of them in the beginning in either Hebrew or Greek. And then later on in the 4th century, Brilliant scholars decided to translate the Hebrew and the Greek into Latin. And it was about this time that a school of thought emerged in the church that established Holy Scriptures, the Bible, as containing all that is necessary for salvation and holiness. It was a doctrine called sola scriptura, which meant by Scripture alone. In other words, the... the the idea had come as they translated the Bible from the original text that the Bible contained everything that humankind needed to know God, to have a relationship with God, to find salvation through Jesus, and to live a holy life. It was all contained. And then early in church history, they had these magnificent summits where all the Bible scholars would come together and they decided which writings could be validated as Scripture and which ones would not. And eventually, as more of the, the radical theologians would stand up and give voice in these summits, in these conferences, they would say, you know what, we need 
the Bible to be translated into our own language so that everyone can read it. And so they began to transcribe the Bible one at a time, one Bible at a time by hand into their common language. And then later on, when Gutenberg invented the printing press, all of a sudden now they could mass produce Bibles, printing them instead of handwriting them. Now, this is an extremely basic, rudimentary, abbreviated narrative about how we got to this modern-day Bible that we have. Because I think we need a, a basic understanding of this vast expanse of time and the many, many, many hands and processes through which the text, the, the Holy Scriptures have passed. And after all of that, here's the thing, the Bible that you hold in your hands today and read in English is miraculously faithful to the original text passed down, first of all, from mouth to ear thousands of years ago. Think about that. Over the vast expanse of time and how many people those translations had to pass through over time, how many scribes hand-wrote copying from one papyrus to another over these thousands of years, there's this amazing, wonderful, supernatural text that you can hold in your hand and read in your own language that is exactly, with very little deviation, from the original text. Now there's an explanation for that. It's in the book of John, first chapter, verses 1 through 4. You want to know how the Bible that you hold in your hand is, is identical, supernaturally identical to the, the very first utterances of Scripture from mouth to ear? John says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. See, there's this common thread woven throughout the entire Bible from Genesis through Revelation, and the common thread is, guess who? Jesus Christ. The interwoven tapestry of God's word is the living Christ who was and is and will forever be. See, Scripture endures because Christ endures. Scripture is unchangeable because Christ is unchangeable. Scripture illuminates the truth for us because He is truth. The word is eternal because Christ is the word. Does that make sense? Now, I tell you all of this because while you embark on your theological journey this morning and hopefully for the rest of your lives, and many of you are in the middle of one, and that's excellent, don't get bogged down in which text the scholars deem more appropriate or accurate, which ones the experts think is the best. It's not necessary. They are the inspired Word of God. And yes, there are different textual 
translations that have little nuances in meaning, but when you put them all together, you get a very clear picture of what the original texts were saying. And I find that looking at multiple versions side by side, it's often the best way to understand any particular passage of Scripture. And so I want to take a look at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount this morning. In particular, those verses, that context that Bobby read for us out of Luke. But I want to take it from Matthew's perspective. It's Matthew, here it is, Matthew 5, verses 1 through 16. Okay, so if you have a Bible, you might want to follow along. Now, the text that I'm reading from, usually I use the New Revised Standard Version. For this, I've decided this morning to use the New American Standard. And I want to compare it to not a translation, but a paraphrase in the message. So you have the high language of the New American Standard Bible, and you're comparing it to to a... Uh, a paraphrase in the message version of the Bible, which is not a direct translation. The message deals in concepts, not in literal translation. So understand the difference between the two, but when you put the two together, you get a really good example of how to approach this holy scripture that God has graced us with. And so we start in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. It says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them. So at this point, if we look at the concepts, Jesus saw that his ministry was growing. It was drawing huge crowds. And so in order to accommodate them, he climbed up onto a hillside so that Everyone could sit there below him and look up and see and hear. It's very practical, really. And those who were apprenticed to him, it says, those who were committed enough to climb the hill, arrived at this quiet place, and he sat down, and they sat down, and he began to teach. And what he began to teach, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? Well, it it means that you're blessed when you find yourself at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God and His rule, His way of doing things. What happens when we're at the end of our rope? When we're sick and tired of being sick and tired? We finally give it up, don't we? We give it up to God. And so He becomes predominant. His rule, His way of doing things, His way of looking at things becomes the forefront in our mind. And then Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. He's saying you're you're blessed when you feel you've lost that which is most dear to you. Oh, have we lost anything, anyone who's most dear to us lately? It's only when we've lost what's most dear to us that we can be truly embraced by the one who is most dear to us. 
I think about that whenever I miss some of the faces in this congregation that have gone to be with Jesus. I think about how much we've lost, but at the same time, I, feel, I think about how close that experience has brought me to the living God. And so then Jesus said, Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. What he means is you're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. Because that's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. It's not the way of the world, is it, for the gentle to inherit the earth? The way of the world, it's winner take all, it's grab before somebody else does. It's me first, not God first, right? But Jesus says that's not the way of the kingdom. The kingdom is be content with who you are, who God created you to be. Be content with the calling that God has on your life. Don't try to be anything more than that. Don't be anything less than that. Just be who God created you to be. And so then Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. See, you're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. Because He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. That's what the message says. When you get a hunger and a thirst for God, when you decide, you know what? I like the pastor, but I don't get everything I need out of his Sunday message. I think I'm going to study the Bible more, and I'm going to come to Bible study to do it. You have a hunger, you have a thirst. And God says if you acknowledge that hunger and thirst and take steps to satisfy it, then he will satisfy it. And then Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You're blessed when you care. Because at the moment of being careful, full of care, full of compassion for others, that's when you find yourself being cared for. We know that to be true. How many of you have helped in the food pantry, and when you hand that box of food over to someone in need, because you care that they have it, and then all of a sudden you feel all warm inside, right? You feel like you're doing something for the kingdom. And then Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. See, you're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right with God. And when you do that, when you get right on the inside, then you can see God in the outside world. You don't see God out there unless you're in tune with Him. All you see is the brokenness and the fallenness of the world. All you see is the depravity and the sin and the hate. That's all you see out there unless you look at the world through God's eyes. How do you do that? Well, you have to be in tune with Him. And then Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers. 
for they shall be called sons of God. So you're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete with one another or fight with one another. Because that's when you discover who you really are and what your role is in God's family. Are we peacemakers out there? When we get on social media, when we get on Facebook and somebody puts some crazy political post out there and and you see all the turmoil, do you join in on one side or the other or do you scroll on by and let it go or do you at least say a little prayer for all those involved that they may find common ground? And that the common ground would be Christ-centered. And that peace would be brought to the world through Jesus. It's hard, isn't it? Sometimes I see a post and I just, mm, I want to I respond. But I don't. What's that? We may be thinking it, and that's why we go to Jesus in prayer, to repent from what we think. (laughs) Then Jesus said, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, you're blessed when your commitment to God, out there in the fallen, broken, crazy world, when your commitment to God provokes persecution. Because that persecution that you might receive for voicing something righteous, something about Jesus, something about God out there in the world, that persecution that you receive drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. And so Jesus continues in verse 11. He says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you. And falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. See Jesus is saying. Not only that. Not only verse 10. But count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. Because what it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they're uncomfortable. You ever make people uncomfortable by speaking the truth? You can be glad when that happens, Jesus said. You can even give a cheer If you want to, you can rejoice when that happens. For though they may not like it, I do. Jesus said, and when you do that, all of heaven applauds. And then he says, and by the way, you're in good company. Because my prophets and my witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble in the world. You remember Jesus said, they they hated me. What makes you think it's going to be any different for you? Nobody wants to be hated, but when you think about the purpose of your proclamation of Jesus Christ in the world, 
And how blessed you are when you make that proclamation, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of how people respond to it. Their response is not your issue. Your only responsibility is to proclaim it. Why? Well, in verse 13, because you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under by foot, by the feet of men. See, Jesus says, let me tell you why you're here. You ever wonder that? I I love it when the question that I have on my mind and my heart, maybe all my life, all of a sudden appears in print in the Bible. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how are people going to taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and you'll end up in the garbage. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. So not only are you salt, but you're also light. You're a city set on a hill. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. See, here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. I love that image. There are God colors out there. It's like when the sun comes out on a dreary day and all of a sudden all the colors become bright. Right? Your presence as a Christ follower in the world has that effect on the world. Because God is not a secret to be kept. The message says we're going public with this as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. And now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. See, these eight statements... In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, you, you know them as the Beatitudes. At least, I've, I've known that since Mrs. Shields' elementary Sunday school class. Every summer we would spend it with my grandmother and she would take us to church. And Mrs. Shields was the Sunday school teacher for the elementary school age kids. And I would sit in there and she would go through the Beatitudes out of the old King James Version. She would go through the Beatitudes one at a time and then she would explain to us, just like the message version, what they meant. And so we knew the Beatitudes. And if you've ever spent even just a month of Sundays in Sunday school, then you probably know that. What you may not know is that that word, Beatudo, it's a Latin word. And it means a condition of or state of profound Joy and fulfillment. A state of blessedness. 
What is blessedness? Every one of the Beatitudes start with blessed is, right? Blessedness is grace from God. It's a gift that He bestows on us when we are within the boundaries of His perfect will. If we live within the boundaries of His perfect will, we are blessed. And so Jesus is speaking in this sermon about the coming kingdom, but also about the reality of the already here, already established kingdom in the lives of believers. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God is here. It resides with you. And so we are blessed. And with those many blessings come responsibilities. And what Jesus is saying here is we have the responsibility to function in the world as salt and as light. If you look at the second chapter of James in verse 26, it tells us that while we are saved by faith, Faith without works is dead. We can't just sit idle in our salvation. We can't just come to church and sit in the pew and then go home and say, I've done what I need to do as a Christian. I've been to church. No, that's not what it's about. Church is a a place to come and recharge and have fellowship and be built up so that what? So that you can go out into the world and be the body of Christ. We have to be active participants in our sanctification. That's, That's our growth into maturity as Christ. It's called sanctification. We have to be active in that. Because our purpose, why we're theologians is... Because our purpose is to know Christ and knowing Christ to make Him known. And that's why we are salt and light. We are the light of the world. And so, go live your life in the world as a shining example of what it is to be truly in the world but not of it. Can we do that? Can we go shine in the world? Can we bring out the God colors of the world? Can we bring out the God flavors of the world by being salt and light? That's what Jesus is calling us to do. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.